With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace following Iowa's 24-22 loss to Wisconsin. A game that for much of three quarters, Iowa's offense was unfortunately very familiar. I mean, they, they did put some drives together early in the game. They had an opportunity. Their first possession, which came off of Wisconsin's first possession, where A.J. Epinesa had a strip sack deep in Wisconsin territory. Iowa just getting a field goal there, missed opportunity. Uh, and, and then they were actually running the ball fairly well with Torn Young that caused Steve Dace to say he thinks Iowa was going to win the game. And then, of course, they had a fumbled snap. and Things fell apart. They got back into it late, but it just wasn't enough. A similar story where Wisconsin continues to own Iowa. Your thoughts, Steve? This one's on me, John. It's on me. <laughs> Literally the next play after I tweeted that, they had the fumble snap. And I think Wisconsin scored like 21 points in a row or something. Yes, yeah, um, like that. Uh, you know, this is very similar to the Iowa State game, just a different result. Uh, when you look at the box score to the Iowa State game, Iowa had no business winning that game and did. And when you look at the box score of this game, Iowa had no business winning this game and didn't. But it was similar in that they had, um, you know, you're, this was a game decided by just a couple of points as it was uh, in Ames and it was up here as well. Uh, so, you know, over the course of a season, unless you have a historically great team, um, you know, that's, this is the ebbs and flows uh, where you maybe get one of these or, or you get one of them taken away from you early in the year or you get one of them early in the year. And then late, and later in the year, uh, you know, it, the polarity just ends up balancing itself out. Uh, you know, when you look at Wisconsin had over 300 yards rushing in this game, if I would have told you that uh, during our pick segment on Thursday, John, I went to the future 48 hours and, and Wisconsin rushed for 300 yards. Tell me what you think the score of the game is. What do you think it is? Uh, at least 14 to 17 point loss minimum. Yeah. I think Iowa was the last team left in college football that hadn't given up a 20-plus a yard run this season. So you put up 300 yards rushing on them, and then you're holding on for dear life at the end of the game to win. Credit Iowa for finding some resourceful ways to hang around and darn near stealing it at the end. But the storyline of this season, John, I don't think it's really that complicated. And, and I get it, you know, when we have a, an eight-month off season, and you and I are doing this every week year-round, and a lot of the same, you know, 15 to 20,000 people that download this episode every week are listening year-round. They got tired of me talking about the, the road schedule probably sometime around Father's Day, all right? And, and we still had, you know, seven weeks of off-season to go. But when you look at this season, that's really what it is. Three losses to ranked teams on the road by a combined 14 points. That's the whole season. Everything else is the details. And, you know, there's always going to be details that are program like Iowa because – it's a developmental program, one that is very successful, but it doesn't recruit at the level of the LSUs and Alabamas. I mean, if you watch that game on Saturday afternoon, it was like that was a different sport, man. I mean, like it was, it was like those guys were playing at a level of athleticism with, with perfect weather conditions, and both head coaches are just like, F it. You know, we don't need no stinking running game. And then they started actually running the ball at the end of the game just because why not? But, I mean, that was the, the level of athleticism at the skill positions for both of those teams on Saturday, dramatically different than what exists in 90-plus percent of college football. And 90-plus percent of college football, the details are always there. There's always a devil in the details. Some years it's a quarterback who can't make the one or two throws at a school like Iowa. This year it's going to be the running game. I know you've done a lot of stuff in, in, or you've had some – Good commentary on that. But to me, when I break it all down, the whole season's going to come down to what we talked about all off-season long. 
the road schedule was just too difficult. And those three losses by a combined 14 points, that's the season right there. Reverse those games, play them at home. Um, the Penn State game was home. Win. The Penn State game was home. I'm sorry. So that, I forgot about that. You're right. I keep lumping the Iowa State game in there, and that was one that they won. All right. So, sure. but um, those, those, I think in the end, it's just the schedule, what, what we discussed all offseason. I think in the end, it was too tough, period. And that's, that's the story. That's, I, I know they don't make like an NFL films, Hawkeyes 2019. Crap schedule. They're not going to make that. I mean, it's not the highlights season, you know, name of the highlight film. That's essentially what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's painful. I mean, right now, Iowa's six and three after nine games. I, I had them six and three after nine games. And I'm guessing you had them six and three after nine games. Just, you know, I, I did, I thought they'd lose to Iowa State, but beat Penn State. Mm-hmm. and those things could have happened. But that's really the only differences that I had. Now, I had them um, beating Minnesota and Illinois the rest of the way um, before, you know, I, I can't remember if I – I had them eight and four on the whole. So, right now for them to get to eight and four, they're going to need to win two of their last three. It's possible. We'll talk a little bit more about Minnesota here in a bit on this podcast as well as the Bigger Ten podcast uh, this week. And I think, you know, but before Iowa started to go up-tempo late in the third quarter, which yielded quite a bit of offense, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and pull this game down and see if Iowa sent what uh, through three-quarter stats were. They, no, they did not. Uh, but at halftime, Iowa had a total of um, total yards. Where in the world is the total yards? This is not good. They had 93 yards to 211. So, and, and they finished the game, I mean, not with a ton of yards. I mean, they finished the game with uh, 295. But they, they put up some yards late passing, just getting back there and passing. And maybe Wisconsin wasn't being as aggressive because, you know, they were up they were up by uh, you know pretty good number there. I think it was twenty-one to six. They were up before you know Iowa hit the uh, was it the seventy-five yarder, and then they came back and and would tie it up later, almost tie it up later. At least getting the point where they could tie it up. And if it weren't for a pick by the official on Mackay Sargent's block attempt up the middle, um, you know they might have been able to tie it up. Although. I think Wisconsin had like, what, three minutes, four minutes, Steve. They probably would have gone down there and kicked the field goal anyway. But at any rate, they at least showed some fight in the end. And I know people don't want to hear that. My biggest thing is, and you mentioned it, I I did this earlier today. I just plotted Iowa's yards per carry um, per season since 2001. Now, I I chose 2001 not just for a selective sample. I just feel sack adjusted, I would imagine. Right. Uh, I don't know what you mean. Uh, oh, yeah. This is yeah. It's sack adjusted, correct? Okay. But everybody yeah. else's is too. Yep. Um, okay. Since two thousand one, I chose two thousand one since I, I just am not going to hold the first two years uh, against Iowa. Although two thousand, well, no, I did. I mean, in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, they just they weren't quite ready for prime time yet. But this is two thousand one through two thousand nineteen, and I, I posted the year by year yards per carry number. And a very astute observer pointed something out that I did not recognize. I was only had one four-year stretch during that entire time where they've averaged at least four yards per carry or greater in a four-year stretch, one time. And that happened to be when Greg Davis was the offensive coordinator in 2013 through 2016. Um, make that what you will if there's anything to make of it. But really, you know, 2017, 3.76 yards per carry. 2018, 3.95 yards per carry. And so far in 2019, 3.87 yards per carry. And again, perhaps apropos of nothing, Brian Ferentz has been Iowa's offensive coordinator during these three years. Um, (coughs) This year, we all know that they have guard problems, right? And if you want to lay the wreath of discontent at the foot of Kirk Ferentz for why the heck doesn't Iowa have any senior or upperclassmen guards that can actually, you know, be above average? Sure. Uh, the Paulsons didn't develop the way they'd hoped. They weren't the only ones. But it's just – this is a team, Steve, that 
that will tell you it is its identity is in winning the battle in the trenches on both sides. And more often than not, they do not win the battle in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball relative to the running game. And they go up tempo late in this game. They went up tempo a few years ago at home against Wisconsin after the Badgers had opened up a, a two-score lead and actually did some things. And who knows, again, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's something that's unsustainable. Maybe it has to do with the way the defense plays. But, man, there's a lot of discontent over just this same old thing over and over and over, yielding the same results. And then you, you put a little charge in there. You start going a little faster tempo. And you start slinging it a little bit. I mean, they've got playmakers on the outside this year. It's all just befuddling. And it's hard for me just to sit here and say, okay, well, I guess in years when they don't have an all-Big Ten caliber tight end, which they do most of the time, um, they're going to struggle. And obviously the offensive line we talked about. I I don't know. I guess I'm kind of just verbally grasping at straws here because it's, it's a little frustrating. But when you look at those numbers, then, you know, when you look at the amount of tight ends, and, you know, last year Iowa had something that they've never really had before, uh, and that is, you know, what no team in the history of college football has had before, two first-round tight ends on the same team, and they're two totally different players. You know, one is, a, is your traditional in-line in two-way player. The other guy is your 21st century flex kind of tight end. Um, but, you know, what your numbers were what? A, a tenth of a yard difference, yards per carry with those two guys um, compared to this year. You look at the amount of offensive linemen Iowa has consistently put into the NFL, despite all of those stats. Um, what's the one constant? Zone. Zone scheme. I was just going to say the scheme is the only constant. And I, I think the reality is – that it's just really hard um, to when when you're in an era now where 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 programs like Northwestern are developing NFL players in their defensive front seven. When you're looking at how many defensive linemen over the over the course of Kirk Ferentz's tenure has Purdue put into the NFL? Quite a few, actually. Um, and and it's just really difficult. Unless you're recruiting, in fact, I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop my. I'm gonna self-edit. I don't think anyone can do it anymore. I mean, the, LSU is recruiting on another astral plane compared to Iowa, and they finally realized, even lining up Leonard Fournette, who's 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 just trucking NFL defensive players by the by the bushel load every Sunday right now. He's just trucking people. Like, I mean, he's the, he's the JV versus the varsity on Sundays. And with him in the backfield, LSU couldn't do it. I don't think anybody can do it anymore. I don't think you can just line up in tight formations with, and, and, and allow people to have numbers in the box and just continually run the football at them. Tell me, other than triple option teams who don't count, you look at what are, what, are, what are perennially the best rushing teams in America nowadays, the Oklahomas, for example. They're not doing that. I don't think anybody can do it. I think LSU finally figured this out or maybe admitted, to them, admitted this to themselves, a better way of, of putting it. Went out and got themselves Joe Brady, the wunderkind with the New Orleans Saints, their wide receivers coach. They made him really the offensive coordinator. They – they kept Ed Orgeron's longtime friend, Steve uh, Ensminger, as the official OC, basically as a professor emeritus, to, to keep an eye on Joe Brady because it's the first time he's ever had a gig of this magnitude. And, and now you're looking at what, you know, I mean, Joe Burrows won the Heisman Trophy. We have three weeks of the season to go. It's over. It's over. He's won it. And he's going to end up winning this thing by one of the largest landslides in the history of the award. We wouldn't even know who's in second place right now. Because you don't know about Tua's ankle. You don't know about Chase Young's eligibility. He's going to win this thing going away. And that's as a result um, of LSU recruiting at a, you know, at, a, at a different astral plane compared to Iowa. 
finally realizing we can win nine or 10 games every year, just physically dominating every, those teams. And we run over them. We establish a running game and we run a play. Then we go to a play action passing game. So those six, three, six, four receivers that are all in the NFL that we recruit every year. And, and then, but, but if, if that's where you want to be as a program, fine. But what happens when you go up against the teams that are recruiting as good or better than you, and you can't bully them at the line of scrimmage like that? What do you do then? And LSU was consistently running into this predicament. Michigan is consistently running into this predicament. That's maybe a better analogy because the character uh, and the DNA of, of the Michigan and Iowa programs and universities are extremely similar. Uh, and that's why Michigan wanted Kirk Ferentz to replace Lloyd Carr 12 years ago when he retired. It was a natch seamless fit. Well, Ferentz sent, sent his last kid to Michigan, from what I recall. So maybe that's even a better analogy. And now Michigan's kind of in this no man's land. They tried to make the big Joe Brady switch they, with Josh Gaddis, and it just hasn't worked. Maybe it'll work next year, but it didn't work this year. And it, to save their season, they had to go back to what Harbaugh was comfortable with, and it saved their season. They're probably going to win nine games doing this. I highly doubt they're going to beat Ohio State doing this at the end of the year, though, because you're not going to just run line up in, a, in, in a 12 personnel and run the ball between the tackles against those guys. Good luck with that. You don't have a downfield passing game on a consistent basis. You can't run the football in today's college football. And you got to produce, and you have to produce that passing game by getting people spread out out of the box. That's just a, it's a different game. The hash marks are more like the NFL now. It's just a totally different game than it was before. And for Iowa, it's not, it's not like the offensive line talent. I mean, we're sitting here talking about a disappointing unit and the two starting tackles are going to be two of the top 50 players picked in the NFL draft probably in April. How many college football offensive lines have two top, let's just be, let's be lenient. Say two top 75 picks in their offensive line. Not many, maybe two, three, four, five at the most. So that's your struggling offensive line. 95% of college football would take that right now. So I just think this is a scheme issue. You cannot consistently move the line of scrimmage in today's college football. And when you look at the depth of the schedule, Iowa's going to play every year. You have an Iowa State program right now. I mean, they're a six-point favorite next week against Texas. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day Iowa State is a six-point favorite over Texas, John Miller? I never did. Ever. Yeah, pray not. And, and so you're going to play them every year as long as Matt Campbell is there. You know, so they're not going anywhere. And then you look at the depth of the Big Ten. You know, we got Illinois, for goodness sakes, is, is leading the nation in turnovers forced and, and defensive touchdowns. Illinois. So when you look at the depth of schedule that Iowa's going to play every year now, very few opportunities to know going into a given Saturday, we will reestablish the line of scrimmage on, against these guys. It's this, so the, the, that's the common denominator is the scheme. You simply can't do it. I don't see anybody doing it in college football nowadays. Tell me who's consistently running for 200 plus yards a game out of traditional pro style offenses. I don't think a single team in college football is doing it. So I think that's the issue for Iowa. That's my opinion. Well, to regular listeners of this, regular listeners of this podcast, what Steve said will sound very familiar because we've been saying it for two to three years at least relative to the anachronistic aspects of the zone scheme. And it only becomes more and more exacerbated with each passing year as the game continues to change, as Steve uh, put well in what he just said. And one of the things I've enjoyed most about our podcasts has been the total spontaneity of them. As you know, Steve, very well, we don't plan. Um, you said, Hey, you ready? I said, yep. I sent you the link to the zoom. You said, okay, I'm ready to go. I hit record and we started talking. They're really, you know, sometimes we have small talk. Sometimes we don't, we both have families. We have things we're doing. We get right to it. We don't have a list of things to talk about. So what this podcast has now turned into unintentionally, but here we are. It begs a few questions for me. First being, 
I agree with everything you said. We've said it before. And, and I've seen Scott Docterman tweeting about it. He and Mark Morehouse talked about it on a recent podcast on their on Iowa podcast, the zone scheme. Uh, Twitter was um, blooming with zone scheme questioning today. And no, we're not head football coaches, but a number of us watch a lot of football. And I don't think what we're talking about is a reach. So then the question comes, will Kirk Ferentz change? My answer is he will not. My answer is however many years he is Iowa's head coach, make no mistake, this isn't a call for his job from me. Um, however many years he is Iowa's head coach, you will continue to see the offense, the blocking scheme be predominantly zoned. Have they been mixing in more gap? Yes, they have. But we're still talking about an offense that is running too much zone, that is too predictable out of the zone. And, yes, this year they're down guards. They weren't last year. The last three years they haven't been down guards. Uh, last year they had, you know, a, a better offensive line than this year, and they're only a tenth better on a yards per carry basis. Now they've had more yards taken away this year for sacks, but still um, they, they aren't a house of fire running and they weren't a year ago. Steve, I don't think Kirk will change. I think that he'll ride this one out. What do you think? Probably right. I mean, given his age, given where the program is at, I also I do think um, seeing how uh, Michigan's offense was imploding all over the place, including against Iowa, um, and 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 seeing how Michigan's a school very similar to Iowa's, as I've already talked about. In terms of its approach, its, its DNA, culture as a program. And Michigan tried to make this evolution this offseason. Um, and the install just didn't take. And it was going to take a team that was preseason top 10, and they were going to go 7-5, and 6-6. Six and six. And uh, to salvage it, Harbaugh had to go back old school. Um, and I, I could see Ferentz sitting there saying, at this juncture with where I am at and where this program is at, it, is that is that the risk that I want to take? Especially because let's look at the schedule. I'm looking at the 2020 schedule right now. Because I think Kirk Ferris is at, is at a point now, this is a year-to-year -year thing probably for him. I don't think he's thinking in five-year increments. Here's your 2020 schedule. You tell me, just based on what we think right now on November 10th, do you think that's a team Iowa can just line up and reestablish consistently throughout the course of four quarters, the line of scrimmage against this team? All okay. right, you ready to go? All right, yeah, I'm going to write them down. Okay. Nope. Northern Iowa, we'd both be a yes, right? Yes. More than likely FCS team, okay. Iowa State at home. They will because they always have, and that style of play against Iowa State has been successful but Iowa State has made so many changes. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's – All right, let's put a finer yes, point will. on this. Yes, they, they can. can they, they will. They will. Let's put a finer point on this. Can they reestablish the line of scrimmage enough to, to score if the game requires more than 24 points to win? Let's do that. Is that so fair? Ne so, so, next okay. year, so, again, we're talking about what I think Iowa's going to have next year, which, is, <laughs> which is, does not include – um, the two tackles who will likely be going to the NFL does not mm -hmm. include them. So I'm going to say no. Okay. So we're, so basically we're saying one definite win at Minnesota. No. Okay. I agree. Northern Illinois at home. Yes. Great. That's two. Michigan state at home. Yes. They lose everyone of note. I think they can get away with it there. Yeah, yeah, I think if, if you know the name of a Michigan State player, they're not back next year from what my preliminary research says. And we don't even know what the coach stat, status is. So I'm going to be with you on that. I agree. That's three wins. Now, that doesn't mean – by the way, folks – We're not doing wins and losses. We're doing – Yeah, we're just saying that games that we know, as is, Iowa can win it as they're constructed right now. Doesn't mean that's, – that's all we're talking about, all right? Meaning with the current paradigm. That's what we're talking about. It's not like an official WNL, all right? Um – at Ohio State. No. At Penn State. No. And I don't know who you guys pissed off the league office to have to play those games back-to-back -back on the road. Yikes. 
Okay. Northwestern at home. Yes, but it'll be 14 to 10. Pick your team. Probably. Okay. So there's four games. Then yep. you have the bye week at Illinois. Ask me that in two weeks. Right now I would lean yes, but boy, they are trending really good. Okay. Nebraska at home. Yes, until I see their line of scrimmage play resemble a pulse. That's five at Purdue. No, because you're going to need to score more than 24 points. Boy, depending on what Illinois brings back, your conference road schedule next year might be harder than this year's. Looking at this, um, Wisconsin at home. No. All right, so we're saying that Five, six. Uh, there's five or six teams Iowa can physically dominate. And then there's a couple of other games that they'll have to figure out a way to win. And there'll be a couple of games they can't, they just can't win. What does that sound like? The vast majority of Iowa football seasons, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Five or six teams, you know they can beat. A couple of two or three games, you know they can't. And then a couple of games that are kind of toss-ups, and they're typically between – Seven and nine wins, and they have those special outlier seasons, 02, 2015, uh, 20, uh, or 2009, okay? And, and those are the – and you remember the 2004. Those are your special outlier seasons. As a Hawkeye fan, you remember. And then the rest of them are fairly solid, consistent, steady seasons, um, enjoyable. Usually they have that one huge win, like number two Michigan or – um, you know, you know, recently it's been the Cyhawk, you know, domination of that rivalry. And so there'll be some nice moments. And then, if, but then, you know, at the end of the year, you're left kind of wondering, well, I mean, that, I mean, that was a nice trip, you know, it was a nice dessert, but you know, over the course of it, it, it didn't, doesn't like stick to your bones, like a real meal over the course of eight months, you know, and those, those are the outlier seasons that, that are a lot of fun. So what, you, what we're saying right now is we kind of know what Iowa's record is going to be next year. If we, we may not have right the games they'll win or lose, but based on who they are, what they're going to be, and the schedule they're playing, we're basically saying they're going to win between seven and nine games. Yeah, I, I, th I think it's six to eight, but yes. Um, okay, six to eight. Okay. Because you also have the, the, the new quarterback factor, but yes. Good point, good point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well – and I think if you're Kirk Ferentz, and here's the, here's the difficult thing for Iowa, is the difficult position you're in, which is this, you, you know what this is, but, you're, but the, there's the temptation of the undiscovered country out there. And I think if, I think if Kirk was a little bit younger, if Kirk had hit this juncture of his career now, four to five years ago, then I think his, his version of the program would be entrenched and established enough that, could, that he could kind of go out and find himself a wunderkind um, and, and see if they could take the next step. But when you're now dealing with a West division, you know, the current ESPN FPI projections for how the West division is going to finish, Minnesota and Wisconsin with 10 wins, Iowa with nine wins. Hell, it wasn't too long ago that the West Division winner would have eight, could have eight wins. All right, so we're talking three teams with nine or more wins. Illinois with seven wins. You know, you start looking ahead to next year. Purdue, all these – I mean, Purdue is fighting like hell down the stretch here. And all these young guys they are playing right now, they're going to bring them all back next year with Elijah Sindelar, with Rondale Moore. Um, uh, you know, so that's going to be a team to be reckoned with next season. Um, you know, you have, a, you have a wild card there in Nebraska. Maybe they roll, you know, their schedule next year is fascinating in that the third, they, don't, they think they play like one road game before Halloween. But then the, their, the November schedule Nebraska has is a freaking murderer's row. But, you know, that's a program with a lot of tradition. Maybe Frost figures it out. The point is the margin for error for Iowa to even maintain this level of success is smaller than it was for Kirk to finish, you know, top 10 a few times 10, 15 years ago. I think he's very savvy, very aware of that. And I just think he's reached the point now where there's the margin for error is so slim that if you, if you, make, a, you make a bad hire, 
or you make you, even if you make a hire and it takes longer to make that kind of evolution than you had hoped, then um, that can wreck you. So I, I, if I were advising Kirk, not as a guy who, not as a football coach, because he knows 10, he's forgotten 10 million times more football than even an idiot, you know, an amateur layman, idiot savant like myself can recall. This is just, you know, in my professional work, he hired me to help him do some strategic consulting. And, and this is also how I would have advised similarly Jim Harbaugh last year that you don't have to go, um, you don't have to make a massive metaphor, metamorphosis. You need to be more, it's not about being, um, you need to be more flexible in your current level of success. For example, what you said to me 15 minutes ago about what they went tempo. Why did they wait until Wisconsin scored 21 points in a row to do that? Kirk said that he not, thought. Yeah, he said he said that um, you know he thought it was going to take ball control to win the game, and then when they got down, then they didn't know how many more possessions they were going to get, so they had to try to make the most of the possessions they had. But again, well, this, see, this is where you got to have who on your. This is where someone on your staff that loves you to death. All right, every every leader needs somebody like this. Everybody does, and I mean, I don't care if you're running the custodial engineer department. At come and go, all right, or you're the freaking head football coach at Iowa or the president of the United States. Everybody in a position of leadership needs somebody that, you know, that, that is empowered. It's not a coincidence. Maybe the dude was a total crook off the court, but it's not a coincidence Steve Alford had his best seasons after he hired with Alford. Yeah, Neil wasn't an Alford, he wasn't an Alford slurper. He wasn't intimidated by him. You know, Neil saw him naked in a locker room. Didn't think he tiptoed between the raindrops. So he didn't have any issue saying to Steve, I think that's freaking dumb. Try something else. And everybody in a position of leadership needs somebody around them that is empowered to say, Kirk, you're right, Kirk. I mean, given all the outstanding success we've had against Wisconsin, using that style in the past, why don't we go up there and give it a shot again? Somebody needs to be able to say that. I don't know why anybody watching the last 15 years of Iowa, Wisconsin football thought Iowa was going to go up there and win 13 to 10. Really? Okay. One time that worked in 2015 when they dropped the, and they had to drop the ball or fumble, whatever it was at the goal line for you to pull it out like that. You were never going to win like that in order but, to, if you, if you want different that's your results, only win against your only win against them since yes. uh, 09. Yes. If you want different, you know, it's Einstein's definition of insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result each time. Einstein did that? Yeah, that's, that's Einstein's line. All right. Uh, you, you don't have to, Jim Harbaugh didn't have to hire Josh Gaddis and, and literally just rip up his, to a guy who's never called plays before. What he should have done is thought, you know, before, we're, before we get down 21 nothing to Ohio State, Maybe I should throw it up to Nico Collins in the end zone and see what happens. Try it when it's seven nothing first. Similar with Kirk Ferentz, you know you're playing an angling, scheming defense uh, with arguably the best defensive uh, architect and mastermind in the conference right now. Certainly in the conversation. Meanwhile, your quarterback is a pre, is a pre-snap read quarterback, and and if his pre-snap read is right, cash money, homie. If it's not. Make sure your offensive linemen have a good tackling angle for the, on the interceptor on the road back, all right? So what do you do if you've got a pre-snap read quarterback versus an angling, scheming defense that, that's constantly changing its alignment and angles pre-snap, all right? Better guess right. And if his pre-snap read is wrong, that's why he hasn't played very well against them, except when. Last year when they went tempo and this year when they went tempo. Why did that work? Because you're eliminating or at least greatly reducing Wisconsin's ability to confuse you pre-snap. Because now you're the aggressor and you're dictating things to them. The problem Kirk Ferentz and Jim Harbaugh have is that, in, is that their definition of aggression is wrong. It's not that they don't understand football. It's that they don't understand what the term aggressor means. To them, aggressor means I am doing to you what I want to do. No, 
Aggressor means I am doing to you what I want to do to win. And that's a key, that's a key codicil to put on the end, the, the end of that. Are you willing to win a game, even if it doesn't look a way that, it, that you thought going in, it was going to, work, going to work? Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots reinvent themselves every week. One week, Sonny Michelle runs 30 times. The next week, he gets five carries. One week, Tom Brady throws 400 yards. The next week, he's throwing for a buck 45. Why? Just do your damn job is their motto. And if, if this is a game we have to win 17 to 10, we will. And if it's a game we have to win 38, 35, we will. We are not going to let the circumstances of the game dictate to us what, you know, or what it is that we have to do. We're going to acknowledge what those circumstances are and then dictate those to you. And I think that's an issue that you see at Michigan and Iowa. And, and, and I'm a little sensitive to it because these are two programs I watch an awful lot. And it's just eerie, the similarities between the two. It is eerie listening to what each of the fan bases are saying. And they're saying the exact same thing. And you know what? They're both right. And the reality is both of these coaches have it in their head that for us to be successful, the game has to look a certain way. Wrong. Okay? No. The goal is to be successful. So just do it any which way you have to. That's the, that's the goal. Be successful. That's it. It doesn't, it doesn't have, it doesn't, it's going to be a ball control game. Okay. You thought that going in, now they're running for 300 yards. Okay. So, um, why did you wait to get aggressive? Get aggressive earlier. You're a 10 point underdog in that game. You have nothing to lose. Literally nothing to lose. You're expected to lose. Go up there and put it on them right away. Give them some looks. And I think it's fascinating, too, when you see how much Iowa's defense has evolved over the years under Phil Parker. I was just going to say that. That game, <clears throat> they started out in a 4-4-3. In a, in a yep. Yes. And then they went 4-2-5, and then they went 4-3. I mean, Phil Parker is tossing in on-the-fly adjustments all the time. But yeah, the I'm trying offense, to figure out what do I have to do to work? Yeah, What's yes. going to work? Yes. yes. But offensively, they do not adapt. They do not. And, the one, you know, a lot of the criticisms of me over the course of my career are accurate. One of the ones that, that I've gotten the most, though, could not be more inaccurate, that I am not pragmatic at all. No, what I don't believe in doing is sucking. I don't think losing, worse than, losing less than you anticipated. Oh, hell, you know, we thought that candidate was going to lose the election the whole time, but they fought close, so I feel better. Or I thought my team, favorite team was going to lose the whole time, but they covered the spread. I feel, no, no, no. I don't, I don't believe in any of that. You win or you lost. And if you ain't first, you're last. Do what will win. Do what will win. Do what will win. And you were ne Iowa was never going to go up there. Never. They have, they, 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 given history, and they have the best player on the field. So, okay, then you, let's, let, let's say you even get the tempo that Kirk thought you were going to get. And instead of losing 24-22, whatever it was, you lose the game 12-10 because you bottled Jonathan Taylor up the whole game and then he gets one big run to set up the game-winning field goal at the end. Do you feel better? Oh, you know what? We still lost by two, but we made it, but, it, but the game worked the way our game plan going in said it was going to. Who the F cares? Who cares? It doesn't have to look the way you think it has to look. It just needs to look the right way. And how do you know what the right way is? Who's got more points? I mean, I, I, remember, I, went, I listened to Lloyd Carr once say to Michigan media, you guys always complain about the plays that don't work. Well, Lottie freaking down, Lloyd. What other standard would we have by which, whether your play call was good or not, that if it worked, would there be another standard we would know? I mean, are you, are you aware, John, of another standard out there? This isn't gymnastics who are sitting around waiting for the East German or now the North Korean judge to render their subjective score. We have an objective scoreboard. And here's how we know whether your game plan worked and whether your play calls were right. Did you score more points, one more, than the other team at the end of the game? As the great prophet Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. Right? You don't play to frame the game. You don't play to, uh, make the, to, to style the game. You play to win the game. You go, let's go back to these, uh, these outlier seasons that we just mentioned for Iowa. And you're going to notice there's something in common in virtually all of them. 
2002, hell, they've got a tight end catching 95-yard touchdown passes. All right, so what was, what was the equivalent? I think if I remember right, nine players off of that team earned some form of All-American or All-Big Ten. All right, so what was the outlier? That was kind of the dawn of Iowa's revolutionary strength and conditioning program. And what they turn guys like Dallas Clark and, and, and Robert Gallery and Fred Russell into. How they just looked different than every other player and, and virtually every other program in college football. Outlier number one. 2004, they had to give up on the running game. And they're essentially running a modified form of an air raid. Mike Leach would have been proud. Outlier. There's, a, there's another outlier. I'll bet you we can go through every single one of these seasons. 2015, let's face it, the damn schedule, that was the outlier in that season. Right. There's always an outlier. So if, 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 if I were sitting down with Kirk and just consulting with him strategically, you know, I'm like, hey, you like patterns? Let me give you one. Whenever you win a big game or have a special season, it's because you did something different or got something different outside of your paradigm. Every time there was an outlier that when, it, when it's just your paradigm, you're going to win six to nine games every time. We know this. When you get outside of that paradigm is when you either generate outliers, contrive them on your own, or you're gifted them and then you take advantage of them like you did in 2015. So if you want this season here in 2019 to be different than the other seasons, then you're going to have to go up to Madison and contrive an outlier. With you did, now, I don't know football, Kirk. You do. So you tell me, you're sitting there in practice every day for nine months. What's your best outlier thing? What is it? Well, it's you know, when we go tempo. Cool. That probably ought to be your base offense then. And then later, if you get up a score or you get up, ten, you get up uh, two possessions and then you want to milk the clock, cool. Grind the game down then. Keep the ball out of Jonathan Taylor's hands. But you want to get up there. You want to, you want to, you want to make sure, because they got a plan. Their plan is to run Jonathan Taylor and protect Jack Cohn from having to make a damn throw. Your plan is everyone's got a plan, like Mike Tyson said, until they get punched in the mouth. You're going to go up there and you're going to punch them in the mouth with your outlier. Try to get them off grid, get them off schedule, get them thinking, well, something's different about this game. We're not going to beat Iowa like we do every other single time playing this way. You never force the action until you are really out of the game. That's a coaching error. And it has nothing, and that, I think that goes beyond scheme or anything else. It goes to a willingness to do whatever it takes to win, right? Not even whatever you think it'll take to win, but whatever it will take to win. And I think that's a difficult thing for a lot of leaders, particularly the real successful ones. When they've reached, they're used to getting by on their ability to frame situations. When they run into situations they can't frame, it's, it's, it's easier for an Ed Orgeron to do this. A guy who's never been a coordinator, went from a defensive line coach at Old Miss to a head coach, was a horrible head coach, got laughed out of the, out, out of the SEC. It's easier for him when he gets his second crack at a top five job to say, you know what, I really can't be. I'm not the mastermind here, so I'm going to take advantage of this printing press we have at this university and go hire the best damn coordinators I can. They're going to coach that, that stuff. And I'm going to go out there and sell the hell out of the LSU brand. It's that level of self-awareness is easy for people who on their own have not had a whole lot of success. But when you're a coach like a Kirk Ferentz and you've built this program from primordial lose up to where it, where it is, it's harder, particularly at this particular age in life. That's not unique. Okay. Most men don't finish well. Just look down the road in East Lansing, Michigan. Most men don't finish well. Most men don't want to don't want to evolve or progress the older they get, right? And so that's not unique. So I think your issue isn't even the scheme is the issue, like we pointed out 20 minutes ago before I began this rant. But it's the approach to the scheme, the unwillingness to get outside of yourself until you absolutely have no other alternative, and it's obvious to every carbon-based life form with full motor function on planet Earth. The problem is when you do it then, now you're on the defensive. You're never the aggressor. You're never forcing the issue. And that's the issue. Yeah. I mean, you, you had said something um, there like, uh, to me, I, th I think Kirk could not stomach that if he went into a game plan, going to Wisconsin, 
trying something, you know, as you mentioned, relative to being an outlier and then lost the game um, or lost it close or whatever. I think in the back of his mind, it would bug him too much thinking, well, gosh, if we would have just done what I like to do or want to do, what we've always done, maybe we would. I just think it's that itch in the back. And, you know, obviously we mentioned the outlier 2004 where Iowa had no choice but to change. Mm -hmm. There's one game that comes to mind for me where Iowa did something schematically different for one game and it dang near worked. Um, it was 2013 Iowa at Ohio State when Iowa came out and they went three tight end for much of the first half. Uh, Iowa scored 17 points on its first three possessions and all of them were very long drives. Iowa led that game at halftime. Ohio State was ranked fourth in the country because Iowa knew that it had to do something different. Otherwise, it had no chance. Mm -hmm. And it, it still wound up losing the game. But it gave itself the best chance to win the game because of a tweak. And it also took Braxton Miller making a, a Superman-type scramble late in that game to put Ohio State ahead to stay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's just very, very few instances. And I just don't see it happening. I think they'll continue to be a predominantly zone scheme team. And I think that we will see Iowa continue to have similar results unless there's just that fluky outlier year, which can happen. That's just the way it's going to be. Well, and the good news is Big Ten's got a bunch of new bowl contracts next year. So there's a bunch of new bowl games, you know, like what, that, like that, that Las Vegas Bowl, for example. There's several new games for all the bumblebees to go and visit when they're seven and five, eight and four next year. How to win friends and influence people. Steve must have skipped the how to win friends sections of that book. Did I just mention everybody needs somebody around them to tell them don't say things and do things like that? And you're yeah, I, and, you, and you got a strong enough back to be that guy. <laughs> no, I need somebody to stop me from saying I did. You know, how many people I just won over with that rant, and then I had to go and ruin it with that yeah, last at yeah, the end. Yeah, you just you yeah. just put almond milk in their cereal. Um, <laughs> That'll, that'll wrap it up. I think we're good. Here. Well, you know, we're real quick before we go. Minnesota, if it weren't for Ohio State's otherworldly offensive balance this year, Minnesota's the most balanced, dangerous offense in the Big Ten. And still guessing you don't want to change your preseason pick on Minnesota. No, I'm going to write it out, I think. Right, right. going to write this one out, okay? Yeah, I'm um, going to write it out, yeah. You know, the, the – <laughs> Early in the year, they were not winning the battle at the line of scrimmage either side, and Tanner Morgan had to carry them. My gosh, well, that guy has been playing at an otherworldly level. He's got a college passer rating somewhere in the 190s. He was, what, 20 of 22 or 18 of 20 yep. this weekend against Former Western Michigan commit. Just, came, to P, came to Minnesota with P.J. Flint from yeah, Western Michigan. Just having a phenomenal season. The, the most dangerous wide receiver core in the conference. An offensive line is starting to gel and pave the way. A defensive line that is stout and a secondary, actually, that's pretty darn good as well. Um, they're coming to Kinnick Stadium, and they're ranked seventh in the country, and they opened as underdogs. So you worry about the emotional letdown, but then P.J. Fleck gets to log on to ESPN this afternoon at 2 o'clock on Sunday and say, yes, yep. thank you, voters. This is the classic game. I, you know, I love playing unranked, although Iowa is ranked, barely. Uh, and they'll be ranked in the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday, and they should be. They should be somewhere in the, 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 you know, in the top 25, given the quality of their schedule. All right? But this would normally be the kind of situation I'd be all over a team like Iowa here. Because the, the come down for a team like Minnesota, I mean, now they're sitting with their, their, their highest ranking in the AP poll since 1967. Um, this, but it's what I told you on our, uh, on our podcast last week, getting ranked 17th in those playoff rankings for a cult coach like PJ Fleck, as they once said to Jerry Seinfeld, that's gold, Jerry. It's gold. All right. To wake up this morning and be the underdog 
in the Floyd Rosedale game, if you're PJ Fleck, you're thinking, yeah, but I do have to buy a lottery ticket after all. All right. You couldn't ask. It's like you're tiptoeing between raindrops right now if your name is PJ Fleck and you're tiptoeing between raindrops, not getting wet. Okay. I mean, you're just getting handed motivational gifts. And because um, I think because I think the matchup for Iowa is bad. I, I think it's a bad matchup with this because of the skill set they have on the outside. And here's the key. Because Michigan has that kind of skill on the outside too. The difference is Minnesota is willing to use it or at least capable of it. Michigan might have been willing to use it against Iowa, but they didn't have a quarterback capable of it, say, to shut it down. Minnesota is going to use it. And that's the kind of game where you can, you're winning at the line of scrimmage, you're winning at the line of scrimmage, you're winning at the line of scrimmage. Chris Ottman Bell, Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson, over your head. Uh oh. And suddenly, a, you know, a, a, a three nothing lead is seven to three. And then you come back on a 10 play drive, you get the lead back 10 7, and you're kind of playing back to your rock fight. You know, you think you got it again, and you go a whole quarter, and, you, and, you, and, you're, making, and you're learning the punter's middle name and social security number. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, Rashad Bateman over the top. One bad crease and they burned us. And I think, so to me, this game is a helmet game for Minnesota. And really for both teams. You know, where's Iowa's motivation at? Um, you know, with the division title off the grid, totally gone. You know, uh, who knows? I have, and, and, and I don't have a clue. I'll defer to you on that. And I don't know that we really know until we see the team on Saturday. And then where is Minnesota? from a letdown, you know, and not that they wouldn't want to be up for Iowa. It is arguably their biggest rival, but man, it's hard to have that level of emotion in the tank twice in a row. But if Iowa's a little bit, meh, then that can even out that gap a little bit, particularly when you hand a coach like PJ Fleck, the emotional sledgehammer of being an underdog in this game and still being disrespected right about now. P.J. Fleck is in front of his altar to Jobu, wondering what sacrifice needs to be made to not be ranked in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings this week. What do we have to do to get ranked behind Penn State this week in the college football playoff rankings after just beating them? All right? Because that kind of motivational fodder is priceless. And when I saw this, my initial lead on the game was to go with Iowa in a mild upset. And I did a whole 180 when I saw Iowa's favor today just because of how I've watched that guy build his program. He has built it on stuff like this. He's sort of the, it's sort of if, if Mark D'Antonio was your youth, was a youth, was a, was a Pentecostal youth pastor instead of um, Mr. Prickly, you know, um, you ever seen the movie Breakthrough? The kid you, who falls on the ice. You, okay. you just you just lost everyone having them visualize Mark D'Antonio as a youth pastor. But I have heard of that movie, yes. My daughter loves it. All right, then PJ Fleck is the Topher Grace minister character. That's who he is. Okay. There is some there's a lot of sincerity there, but you just have to wade through a lot of packaging to get to it. But if you do get to it, man, the people around him believe. I don't need to go on that whole tangent. I've done that a few times already. But his program, he's kind of building it with that level of, you know, persona, but also everybody's against us. You're not any good. They hate you. Okay. And being hand, being handed, we're underdogs to Iowa. That's a freaking gift. It is indeed. All right. That'll wrap up this installment of the HN podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.